Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a map of our unique potential, from the mundane to the mystical. If you'd like to dive deeper into your design, we invite you to check out our ongoing foundation courses and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Ruth Brennan is a 5-1 sacral generator on the left angle cross of cycles. She's the creative director at the International Human Design School and is a certified analyst and BG5 consultant who teaches foundation and PTL courses with the school. In this episode, Ruth shares how human design came into her life and how it set itself apart from other spiritual teachings and traditions she was exploring. We talk about her experience with her sacral authority and living with the channels of maturation and transformation on the cross of cycles. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Maybe we could start by diving in on what struck you about the system itself. What was most different or compelling about it when you first found it? It's just so incredible. In the 70s, when Gate 61 and the first line in the 60s first came up and we started shaking the tree about the mysteries of life and inner truth, I was fascinated by transcendental meditation, golfing, Hatha yoga. I became very entrenched in the self-awareness type of things. I was living in Alaska at the time. And it's pipeline boom, and it's a very Wild West kind of atmosphere. Not a lot of self-awareness going on. So it didn't really take hold, and I continued to explore those things over my life. One thing I've always been fascinated in, I was always looking for a religion that felt right to me. I grew up Catholic, and I remember being in catechism and then saying, if you're a baby and you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. And there's all these levels of sins. And I thought, that can't be right. I've always studied the evolution of belief, always searching out there for something that would answer my questions. And I read up on the Mormons, Buddhism, fascinated by the Jewish religion. And so 25 years about in a relationship, That took me on a road totally not self, as I reflect. When things started to fall apart there, I went back to my search. I didn't have words for it, but I knew I wasn't me. And I called myself after living with someone, and I had, what, three defined centers, six open? I was married to eight centers defined, undefined head. I called me Ruth Steve, his name, you know, like fly, where you can emerge. I didn't know where I was anymore, which what was me. So back I'd go on this journey. And I started reading the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then I got interested in Kabbalah and the Tree of Life and the Gnostics. And somehow on my first line rabbit hole dive through the internet, I ran across Ra. And nothing seemed quite right to me. Yeah, this is good. No, I don't believe that. And I can't remember the video. I wish I could. But I remember thinking, this is it. This has my answers for me. This is a way that I can discover who I really am outside of what everybody else thinks. I should or shouldn't be what I should or shouldn't believe. Because that always felt really wrong to me. I dove in head first. And I haven't looked back. It was like, oh, yeah, finally, the answers aren't out there. They're in here. We just have to be able to find them. And human design gives us the tools to do that, doesn't it? It does. 
So you're a five one, obviously. Ra is a five one. Do you see something about that resonance that may have been part of what struck you about him? It sure could have been. We had some other similarities too. I liked the heretic part of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little bit kooky and off-center and raw, although the package looks pretty vanilla. Personality is quirky and off-center a little bit. I just like the irreverence. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Love it or leave it. I don't care. Here it is. And I thought, wow, he's not pushing an agenda on me. And I appreciated that. Figured out yourself, Ruth. Here are the tools. I think John and I can both relate to that. I've learned a lot from John about the 2551 because that's his only defined channel. We both have individual channel definition. I'm a 5-1 also. And I think the way you're saying it is exactly how it struck me too when I first heard him. I wasn't necessarily fully comfortable with everything he was saying, but there was something about his attitude about it that I felt like I was comfortable listening to him. Even if he was saying things that I wasn't totally comfortable with, that sense that I got that you're naming that he wasn't going to try to dominate me in some way with this knowledge. There was a freedom in it to find your own way. I think that appealed a lot to Mm -hmm. both of us as well. One of my dearest friends has one channel, and it's the channel of initiation, John. I'd be curious, you know, how you navigate your life with that energy. She struggles with the question of her willpower and initiating, but then having to wait for someone. She's not happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> I have all this drive and will. It's almost like a little bit of an insider cosmic joke in a way. It's like, oh, you've got the channel of initiation and yet, but no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you can go experiment <laughs> with it and see how it does work. But the feedback that life gives you is usually does work a lot better when I wait, when there's recognition and things come to me. But the ego can be almost cartoonish in a way, in my experience. It'll have to go out there and hit its head against the wall a few times and just see what it can do, what it can't do, what it can get away with. And then eventually it just runs out of energy. I'm like, okay, I surrender. Okay, fine. I wait. Okay, I've learned this time. (laughs) But I think with time and a little bit of experience and maturity, then there's a little bit of a course correction or there has been for me. So you teach a lot of the courses with IHDS, the foundation courses and professional training in the analyst program. You're also the Mm -hmm. creative director for IHDS. And it sounds like you have a lot of history and creative arts and experience and different art forms. What do you get to do as a creative director with IHDS? We're so curious. Well, I've worked with Linda for years and she finally said, you know, you really should have a title. I said, okay. Linda and I have such an amazing relationship. We resonate. My visual sense of representing what she wants to say is what drew us together. The first project we really worked on together was the BG5 Institute, creating that website, those new courses, and all of that. And I helped her create the visual look how much white space there should be, what the images should look like, what did she want to portray. So I more or less designed the website and the redesign that recently happened. So any images you see on the website, I would have created. And when they need a new image, 
Linda calls me and says, okay, we're redoing all of the trait images for Facebook because she had other people doing them for a while. And, and so I take on that, creating a new look and feel for that. And I did the same with the IHDS website. Of course, it's very complex. The programming behind it is extraordinary and Ozzy does that. But all the images are my creation in collaboration with Linda. She knows what she doesn't like immediately. <laughs> so we worked on a lot of things, redoing the slides for the teachers, for the foundation courses. And because I created my own, she asked if we could use them for the teachers and that kind of thing in the background, working with her on those kinds of things. It's just such a large body of work. Been a little bit of a mystery to me. Who's doing all this back there? Who's creating all this? Who's handling the visuals? So yeah, now I know. Yeah, that was my world. I had a creative agency. I had freelanced for years before and had been in the newspaper magazine business in the graphic department forever. And I didn't love it anymore when I met human design. I was introduced professionally to human design when I finally talked to a person. I tried to figure it out on my own for like a year. And Kathy Kinnaird actually lived in Vancouver, Washington, and I reached out to her for a reading. And she says, I don't do this, but I'd like to meet you in person, do it in Aura. So I met Kathy, and then Kathy introduced me to Linda, the fourth line thing. And so I have all but stopped doing creative work for anyone years ago, except for working with Linda and the school, because it brings me joy. And you must be pretty instinctive about your creative process as well, I'd imagine. Yeah. My unconscious gave one in the second line, love is light, this aesthetic, this beauty. I just have a real visual sense of what I see things to be. And I do that with my transit reports that I do. They put them in the newsletter. That's my creative interpretation of what's going on the different things I love to create in that way helps me understand. Well, I think it probably helps a lot of people understand when you find the right image to communicate something. Picture speaks a thousand words. It's something that can come across in a way that you can't always get across in words. Captures a feeling for me. Ruth, you had mentioned earlier that before human design had come into your life, that there was kind of a search looking for larger perspectives, interested in religion, different belief systems, and then meeting human design and Ra's kind of no-nonsense, take it or leave it, go figure it out for yourself approach seems pretty counter to the way a lot of spiritual traditions are oriented. Was that kind of refreshing for you? What really intrigues me is that... You have to find out for yourself. In all of the standard religions and spiritual teachings that I encountered along the way, this is the way it is, right? You learn, you follow the leader. And I just get this sense, no, nah, that's not right for me. So my search was endless because I would say, yeah, this is great. Like the Gnostics, when I started reading that, I thought, wow, this feels really good. And then they got to some really janky, weird stuff. And I said, okay, uh-uh, right? No, 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 not for me. And Ra really believes that differentiation. We are each unique. And so, of course, we should all have different kind of beliefs and perspectives and feelings it's not one size fits all. And I was really drawn to that. 
drawn to find out what mine was. Who are you, Ruth? Not all these things you thought you were or you thought you had to be. Of course, I'm still peeling it away. Halfway through my second cycle of deconditioning, there's so much more that'll be a life's work for me. For us all. Truly. That was one of the things I read your bio and it really jumped out to me, this sentence where you had said that your human design journey had been about unlearning, letting go of all the things that you thought you were, you were taught to be, and then this discovery process of what am I? (laughs) What remains, you know? Right. And it's so very specific, as you know, when you have very little definition, right? What you are when you have one channel or two is narrow, which isn't bad. That's what we're here to hold. And then this whole universe of openness is where my identity was lost, completely open heart and undefined solar plexus. That's where I lived mostly. So when you started to learn more about your definition, was there something in that that struck you strongest in the beginning? The channel of transformation, right? A design of being driven, the ambition, the support, the tribal thing. What blew me away when I finally got it was that it does you no good unless there's reciprocity, the tribal bargain, You have to make a bargain for yourself. You have to take care of yourself in this. And I spent a lot of my life helping other people succeed, rise up, to prove that I was worthy, to avoid upsetting them. I didn't want to make waves to maybe get attention through the undefined throat. And I could just see my whole life. And then I was bitter. Why don't they help me? I just assumed if I did this, they would do that. And, you know, that's really not how it works. Unless you ask, you make sure there's reciprocity there. A mutual support is what a recognition and invitation and a mutual support allows that to work its magic. That blew me away. Oh, the channels by type. It's so powerful. How do you really access your gift through its type? And was that something you felt like you could start to use to kind of address how you were approaching things right away? And of course, it's messy because everything is talking to everything else. You know, all the openness, 829, in Pluto twice, first line, the drafty, yes, 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 right? It's tricky and it's messy. But for me, learning to say no when it's a no If I had to boil it down to one thing, it's learn to say no, Ruth, when it's a no. (laughs) There's not a good bargain. You haven't made a bargain. It's okay to say no. And that was hard. And it's still, my mind still works the same way as it did. (laughs) Just I don't believe it or act on it all the time in the same way. Haven't you found that to be true? Does anybody else have trouble with saying no? Yes. Yes, I have trouble saying no. (laughs) I like to remind myself that statistically speaking, this is my logical side, that I'm going to encounter a lot more no's in life than good yeses, good invitations, good calls, whatever. And so I had the same issue. You know, I'll just launch into things, get halfway in it or like, okay, this is not an invitation. I'm not feeling recognized, but what is that automatic? Okay. Yes. And for me, it tends to be my undefined solar plexus. I don't want to rock the boat or upset anyone or, you know, and then the fourth line is a missed opportunity goes into distortion or it's just not working the way it should. (laughs) So yeah, I can relate. Yeah. Crazy. 
And I've had to learn that lesson is so powerful when I get to work with Linda or Lynette through the school and they ask me to do something and all the triggers are going off the not self-talk. And I have to say, I'll do my best, but I can't promise. The community of human design, when you can have a relationship with someone who really understands how you operate correctly, you know, being able to say no, or I can't promise, I need this Friday, well, I'll do my best, but it might be Monday. Those kinds of things have given me such a peace, such a state of grace and peace in my life to just not have to try so hard all of the time, which I spent my life doing. Yeah, that's a pretty special and unusual dynamic out in the world, I would say. Yeah. Grateful for close human design friends who let me be me and I can enjoy who they are and everything is just okay, whether it is or not. Do you find in those situations where there's a potential yes or no that your sacral response is working alongside or with the splenic awareness? Does that show up consistently for you? Yeah. In fact, at first, because my connection to the sacral is unconscious, I recognized my splenic instinct intuition more strongly than the sacral. It's the first thing I noticed. It took me a while to reconnect to that physical experience of the sacral response and the uh uh-huh, uh-uh to go with it, kind of hidden. And what magic that is to have a defined sacral that you can just feel. I had to experience the body feeling first and then reconnect to the sounds because I was, use your words, Ruth, as a little person, don't be rude completely conditioned out of that. I feel this, boy, I tell you, when it's a yes, I feel this movement up towards something that is extraordinary. And if it's a no, it's like, the no is profound. I recognize the no first, and then I understand what the actual yes felt like. How would you describe the experience of your no? How did that show up for you? Like all the air drains out of me. I just go, no, right? And I just feel it. And at the same time, I'm like, they're going to think I'm not a good friend. They're going to get upset with me. That's so uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with that. So I'll just say yes. And it still happens that way. But I started being true to who I was, baby steps, like little things, testing it out to make sure I wouldn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't. Actually, a lot of my friends said, we are so glad you're finally saying no, because we knew you didn't want to do this, but you did it anyway. We'd feel bad. So I had a really good experience early on being honest with the no's. I have a really nice group of friends that are pretty self-aware. Nobody died. I love that you said it that way because I feel like it highlights the drama queen nature of the not self mind. It's like it's such a drama queen. Like it has these extreme, reactive, intense. I'm not going to survive if I don't do it this way. Yes, everyone will hate you. You'll be destitute on the street. You know, everything will fall apart. I won't have any friends. Nobody will like me. My family will reject me. On and on. Yeah. 
that response, the ability that the sacral center has in determining, you know, what's for you, what's not for you, what to engage with, what not to is such a gift. I'm looking at it from the point of view of having an undefined sacral center and constantly being reminded, like, I'm still working on this. This is not a given in my life at all to know when a generator in touch with their sacral response. Wow. It's really a thing. Yeah. It works when you let it, when you get out of its way. Yeah. I'm in Arizona because of this very bizarre question my brother asked me and I went, uh-huh. And I surprised myself. And that's why I ended up the sunny Phoenix area. It's not been easy here for me. Mentally, I've struggled. I'll use that word. It's been uncomfortable. It's hot. I have an older aging dog who is having difficulties. My mind is having a fit. And yet my body is in love with the sun and the cycles thing. I'm a left angle cross of cycles and I have that maturation and I don't know why I'm here. And it won't make sense, I'm sure, until I get home and have a chance to reflect. And so I'm just letting it be as much as I can. I don't know what things mean until it's over. I'm so glad you brought that up. That was actually a question that Amy and I wanted to specifically ask you about being a left angle cross of cycles, 5-1 profile. And that's a fairly unique cross in the sense that with the sun and earth four activations on the personality and design, it forms two full channels. And yet those are your only channels. Right. Could you say more about it, how that's been for you? Yeah. How do I know when something is over? It was like a couple of weeks ago. I just knew I had this feeling that I was starting to not have the satisfaction. I was starting to feel frustrated. I thought, whoa, the cycle must be coming to a close here, right? I'm running out of energy for this. It closes itself if I don't get in its way, if I just feel in what my body is doing and how much satisfaction and energy I have. I ran out of energy. And it's subtle, and it's weird, but you can feel it. I can feel it. And it's I run out of energy. Now, sometimes if I've taken on something big, there was a project Linda and I worked on that was huge, and it took over a year for us to do. And many times I stalled, and I needed to be reinitiated into it. I needed to be asked again, are you still interested in doing this? Uh-huh. And I knew there would be energy for it, but I needed a little start. But I had a strong response to saying yes, so I knew there would be energy, but sometimes you need a little help getting back in. And again, luckily, I had Linda and or Lynette to reinitiate the response so that I could get over the hump. Much easier in my cycle's life to take on small chunks of things than a big chunk. Interesting. Small cycles, easy, but the big ones that take a long time. Sometimes I find myself losing interest or the energy runs away, which is natural as I understand it. But in the past, how that would work, I would have probably quit before I got to the end. Looking back on my life, things kept happening that were similar. And I said, why does this keep happening to me? Well, you said yes when it was a no. It was a yes, but you quit before you finished it. And so it comes back for you to try again, right? That gate 42, a genetic imperative to close something, to finish the cycle. And if you don't, you get another chance. Mm -hmm. oh, I have to laugh. It's just so beautiful and perfect. 
And yeah, it can be very frustrating if you don't know what's going on. So are you saying that staying in your strategy of waiting to respond provides certain outside inputs that allow you to continue through the cycle in a way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, big cycles. It's not like a manifesting generator or a situation where, okay, I've got this big response and I can take it the whole distance. You're saying that with these cycles, there are kind of stages or certain points along the way where you're back in response again. Yeah, it's a mastery that is a step-by-step process, right? The format of abstract is mastery by going through, starting it right, going all the way through and letting it come to its natural conclusion. And then looking back and say, oh yeah, this is what that meant. It truly works for me like that. And if I look back, my life is always lots of little cycles and then some major ones too. Yeah. But sometimes the generator stall is real for me. I can really see that in the abstract format, the way you're talking about it. It makes sense to me that there would be those sort of moments of pause as the wheel's turning, especially if it's a big, long thing. You go through one part that has its cycle. You finish one piece of the project. makes sense to me there'd be a sort of pause and some maybe some waiting for something to come back in and allow that response to re-engage with the next turn of the wheel, the next cycle going through. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You all should observe that and see, because it's very real and it's very helpful for other generators, right? You see them kind of, uh, is it time for you to stop? Are you done? Would you like to continue? Those kinds of things are so valuable. You don't have someone asking you those questions. The mind jumps in and tells you what you should do, (laughs) which is usually quit because it's too hard. (laughs) Very much the turtle in here. I'm very much the turtle about a step-by-step-by-step process. And I just have to go through it. It has to be that way for me to be comfortable. You can really feel the difference among those three different format energies. They are each so distinct. I know when I encounter the 360, the depth of the stillness of that thing when it's off is like, wow, is anything ever going to move again? It's very still, you know? And I do have 60 in my design. So there's that tinge of that potential there. I feel like I can feel it energetically from you too. There is something very, it almost feels ocean-like to me or something. It's like being able to feel something, have its arc and then pause and then have its next arc, you know, and pause. It's a very particular kind of energy to feel. That's a lovely way to put it. And then to not have to push it. (laughs) What a relief. And wait as long as I need to wait to be reinitiated into it. And I can see that happen in my work sometimes where I had a definite response to do it. I'm having that now with the project I'm working on with someone and there's just no energy to move forward, but it will show up. I'm sure of it so that I can close that cycle, but it's in a rest phase. I found that our mind's sense of timing or what the mind thinks the timing should be. It's not always in alignment with the timing of the world, the movement of nature, whatever it is. That's one of the things I keep coming back to is just that this sense of timing is a huge, huge theme. And I think we're always on some level protesting against it or questioning it. Is this correct? And when's it supposed to happen? And it comes up again and again. The patience piece through almost any 
wisdom, ancient wisdom. It's all about timing and patience. All things get done in their own time. There's something else that I've been looking at with the 5342, and it's a bit of a question in that something about the ending, in a way, coming through a new beginning, that you can't really separate the beginnings and endings, maybe two sides of the same coin. And we actually see that in the wheel, right? We look around the rave mandala, and it's like, we say it's coming to an end, but it's actually the beginning. And how does that show up in your actual experience? Another door opens, or especially if it's a big thing for me, I have to finish it before there's space for the next thing to show up. You mentioned the movement around the will, which is one of the things that fascinates me more than almost anything is following the gates through the quarters around the wheel. And gate 64 comes before gate 63. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's true. After completion, and then before, it's like that channel, the format of mutation, right? Things have to happen before it can move, because if things were constantly mutating, we'd be out of our minds, right? We couldn't learn anything. We couldn't enjoy anything. Everything has its time. And once the seed sprouts, it's there. And then you can take a breath and let something else come in and open up. 4130, recognition, focusing on one thing in the abstract, right? You have all these desires and let's start something new. Yeah, but we can only really focus on one thing at a time. All that same kind of feeling. So for me, my time here in Arizona is coming to an end and something new is going to begin. I have no clue what it is yet because I haven't closed the cycle until I get back home. And now there will be space for something new. And I don't know what it will be. (laughs) So I'm curious about the interaction between your two channels. I'm wondering if I can ask you about that. Because in my experience, the 3254 is a channel that can be very conservative. It can be very determined in a way almost to hold on and to keep going and to not want to let go of the things that it's built and have to start over. Do you feel the tension between those or the difference between those in yourself? Yeah, I think I read Raw said somewhere that, thank goodness for Gate 32, it puts the brakes on the unbridled ambition of the 54, that pressure to rise up and do better. And Gate 30 says, whoa, wait a minute, slow down. For me, those two channels, they aren't separate. It's one energy in me, cycles of transformation that come through. 836 is my personality moon, the driving force of crises, cycles of transformation triggered by the experience of a crisis. And it can be good or bad. That word is really misunderstood, but something new that you haven't experienced before. You say, oh, shit. That impetus to begin something new, something that you haven't done before to grow. I just love it. I'm in love with my design. I really am. And I just sparkle all over being recognized by the school to be able to teach for them. I was doing it on my own. And I don't think anything gives me more pleasure than taking others on that foundational journey of opening the world of human design. You know what I mean? I'm sure of it. There's no better feeling for me 
than to give people these tools to hope that they can benefit in some way, the way I have. Well, on that point, because you have been teaching for a while and you are teaching all of these different levels, are there things that you're noticing in terms of either the kind of people that are being drawn to study right now or the kind of themes that you're seeing in the classes? First of all, it's like the floodgates have opened more and more people are interested and people that are coming into living your design, the entry course, they've read a lot more information and I'm finding more and more people have been reading information that is not the authentic raw teaching, mostly around five types and so confused. So it takes a lot more time and energy to bring them back for us teaching, they came to the school because they wanted to learn from the source after they got confused out there with being given conflicting information. Boy, social media, it can be very confusing, all these styles and different beliefs. That's what I noticed most deeply is it's taking people more time to unlearn what they've been given in the little sound bites because it's just not that simple. And they want to know colors and tones and bases in living your design without the foundation, which you can't understand that until you get this. People are in a hurry and they don't want to get this. So a lot more advanced questions, I think. Is that your experience in your classes? Similar. Pretty similar. It's almost like spending more time answering questions that are deprogramming or deconditioning in a way from whatever other inputs or influences. And let's get back to the essence. Let's try to simplify this and approach it in a step-by-step way. It will reveal itself over time, but you're asking questions about this thing that goes in this place and this thing that goes in that place without having an actual understanding of the framework that we're working in. Yeah. I wanted to know everything immediately. So I have great empathy for that, which is one of the reasons I really, really enjoy foundation because I learn something new or I learn it more deeply every time I have a class. And the beauty for me really is in the basic knowledge. These three foundation courses are so magical with what you learn and what you can take and apply in your life. There's a phrase that we use sometimes, the depth at the surface. Really appreciating the richness and the depth at the surface. It's so easy to gloss over and say, oh yeah, types, I understand that or whatever it is, or centers. No, actually there's so much right there if you can really see it within the context of your actual lived experience and you understand, oh, this is that thing that we've been studying or looking at together. The centers, containers for everything. They tell you so much about all the depth. We were talking about transformation and the unbridled ambition of Gate 54. Well, it's in this pressurized center connected to the format from root to the sacral. That's like shot out of a cannon energy. I would think that for people who are open to it, the power of that formatting frequency in you could actually be a real support for people to be able to slow down 
and go step by step. Wait a minute. Let's start at the beginning. Yes, of course, we want to go here and we want to go there. We want to go everywhere, but let's build the thing first step by step. And then we'll be so much richer the next place we go. Yeah, exactly. If they resonate with me, right? If it's correct for them, they can go along on the cycle with me, but I'm very much a step-by-step-by-step by step by step kind of person. I noticed also that your website is called Embracing Flux. Can you say a bit about that? I lived the life of an undefined G to its fullest. Every possible direction, identity, and place you could go. I've been a gypsy. I've had all kinds of cycles of weirdness. It just made sense. I embrace change. It's going to happen whether you want to or not. So you might as well give it a hug, jump on and enjoy the ride because you're going there anyway. So no resistance, right? For me, the less I resist, more peaceful and lovely and graceful my life is no matter what happens. Embrace flux. I liked that. I like that too. It's like the ultimate wisdom of the 32. I wanted to change it to embrace human design after a while because my creative agency was called Flux. There's something universal about it, though. I can relate to the beginning of our conversation. You had asked a little bit about my 2551 and what's that like. And I feel like it's something that's like surfing. It's just like I'm going on a ride. I'm also crossing the unexpected. Open Ajna. I can feel when my ego and my will moves. And yet the irony there is it has almost a distinct flavor of no choice when it moves. <laughs> it's like you have to, there's no other option. This is what we're doing. And you can either go with it and see what's on the other side of it or not. And it feels a little bit like embracing that flux, that change, the unexpected, or just going with it. And it's like a ride. Yeah, it is universal. The human experiential way, no expectation is how you discover what you're here to learn can be kind of exciting and scary, I'm sure, from time to time. No choice, no resistance. So I know there's a new cycle of classes starting at IHDS any minute or maybe has just started. Just started, yeah. What are you up to this semester with IHDS? I'm just finishing an LYD that started in April. Two weeks ago, I started a rave cartography. And two weeks ago, I started an ABCs. Carol Zimmerman and I in the foundation courses, I will start an LYD. I started one in March, one in April. Then she'll start one in May, one in June. And then I'll do an ABCs in May and June. And right now I do cartography. I start one in January, one in May, and one in September. So that's kind of how that goes. I did a PTL four starting in January, and I do PTL three in September, which is the incarnation crosses, which is my personal fascination are the incarnation crosses around the wheel by line and how everybody has this really specific job that we're here to hold and carry. And I love to see how it builds. It's like a relay race to complete a full fun that's so fascinating. Kathy Kinnaird and Andrea Rachel Wolf did a course over the course of a year, the incarnation crosses profile by quarter. And I got so inspired with that, that I started right, really digging into that because I just find it fascinating how 
you can have four crosses of the Sphinx, but if you're a one three, it's a very different cross than if you're a one four or two four. Nerding out right now on that. You know, once you really get the mechanics of the body graph itself, to get to look at everything just through that movement around the wheel is so rich, whether you're looking at just gate by gate or you're looking at how the profile moves around, you know, the one through 12 going around and around and around, or looking at the incarnation crosses, the way they're going around. Even the hexagram structure, that movement from the bottom to the top and and how the little puzzle pieces all fit together is fascinating to me. I would love to do more classes on the incarnation crosses by quarter. I just haven't had the energy to add that to what I'm doing. I like to have a study group on that because I just find it so rich. Well, if you ever do that, I'm signing up. Maybe we should do it together. Then it's not a lot of work on one person. Yeah, it's a lot of work to break one gate down. Look at the harmonics, which a lock inspired me to. When you're looking at the cross, we have to look at the harmonics. What's it trying to pull in and create? And that adds another level. I loved his harmony and polarity class. It was just fascinating. Yeah, not enough time, guys, to study and learn and dig into everything. It's also fascinating. Try to. And I do also engrave cartography at the very end. While we're looking at profiles, I try to give them a taste of how their profile, if you meet somebody who's a right angle cross of the Sphinx, you're not the same as they are. It's not the same purpose if your profile is different. I try to help them understand how nuanced and layered and specific and different it all is, even though it might have the same name. So I like to introduce that, and it's helpful for those that go on to analyst training. I love the incarnation crosses. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) What is your cross, Amy? I'm a clarion in the quarter of bonding, son of 57. Oh, wow. Five one else. Yeah, five one. Like raw. With the gentle. With the gentle. And you're the unexpected. Quarter of mutation, two, four, crossing the unexpected. Son, 41. Okay. Wow. <laughs> My strategic mind is, in, you know, we got a little bit of logic up there. It's like, I can do this. I can manipulate this. I can work this. And then, you know, it's like, it turns into a big joke again. As you start looking back on your life and you can kind of reframe or see it through that lens. And it's like, yeah, I don't think it actually works that way. <laughs> I hardly ever look at my chart anymore. I say to myself, you know, you're not self-mind, Ruth. Pay attention to that. Follow your response and you're good. (laughs) It's that simple and yet not easy. So true. Well, thank you, Ruth. Thank you for spending this time with us. You guys are delightful. I'm so glad I got to meet you. You're doing such nice work, such good work. For anyone listening, you're available through IHDS for the foundation courses for PTL 3 and 4 that you're you're teaching on a somewhat regular basis. Yeah, usually PTL 3 and PTL 4 once a year. A few years ago, I taught PTL 1 and 2 with Lynette, which was such a treasure. Was she part of your analyst training? She was. We did PTL 2 with Lynette. Yeah, I'm a fangirl. She is so spectacular. But the foundation courses, I every other month, I start 
one of the three. What about individual work sessions? Are you still available for that through your website as well? You know, I stopped doing readings in the fall. I ran out of energy. I didn't feel I could do them justice the way I like to do readings, which, right, I like to dive deep and do a lot of preparation. So I halted that for a while, but not forever, I'm sure. Yeah, because I love individual readings, just haven't had energy. It's a balance with everything else. But when they are available, you can find them on my website. We'll put your website in the show notes so people can see what you're up to and when the readings are back online or when it comes available. Thank you. Yeah, and my blog has all of the 64 gates around the wheel in the solar transits category of the blog. Through the IHDS website, people can find It's on their blog and on my site too. Wonderful. So for people out there, if you're starting to track that, starting to look at the sun moving around the wheel, you may really enjoy getting some perspective on that and some interpretation of that. Well, good. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. I'm grateful that you asked. Thank you for saying yes to this one. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoy the show, please review us and share. You can find us at humandesigncollective.com and explore our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast is courtesy of Meg Ruby and Anders Parker. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for upcoming episodes on the same channel.